Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. Okay. Go, Paul. It's August. Amazing. <laughs> Long delay. <laughs> Long delay. I love it, though. I love that energy. Keep it up. Okay. It's August. Um, and we're here to talk chess. I, I, have, um, I have a question for you. Here's our topic. Our topic is internet chess. And I could have stopped there, but I'm adding the word degeneracy onto the end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're synonymous for sure. Yes. So, here's my question When did yours start? I would have to say, I mean, I, I don't know. I used to play back in the days of chess.net. Wow. Uh, if you remember that site. Yeah. yeah and dude. then US Chess Live, that was my next thing. And then uh, ICC was 2005. Um, yeah, I mean, these days I don't really, uh, you know, degen out as much uh, as I used to. We, we'll get into that, of course, what what exactly that entails. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. But yeah, like ever since 2005, we've been, yeah. what about you? Dude, I love that you dropped a USChess.live reference because that's that's like where mine began. I don't even mm-hmm. know when that server started, but if I had to guess, I would say like 98? 1998 possibly it was the wasn't it the evolution it was evolving from worldchessnetwork.com or something like that yeah slightly before my time don't you love that uh you know the best part of the show is how we like do our homework like our extensive preparation yes exactly (laughs) so like uschess.live for me that was what got me hooked and i think probably a lot of our listeners may remember that i'm not sure what our like age demographics is because of all the research i did um but for those of for those listeners who don't know what that is this was like an official like us chess server you could go and play us chess rated games on that server um there were channels that you could chat in uh with like other us chess members am i missing am i leaving anything out uh, they had they had these like uh, these lessons as uh, as modules that you could play along with. Yes, yeah. um, kind of like I guess a, a very early version of what uh, chess.com does, but like or chessable even better. kind of to some extent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Except like yeah, chessable was a lot more thorough with the variations, but like yeah, I don't know. I guess. To, to see that technology be so mainstream now, I feel like it will desensitize to it, you know? But, like, they had, they had interactive modules like this on, on various different topics and openings, like middle game, end game, whatever you want. Also, as I recall, US Chess.live 
was the first one to sort of create and revolutionize um, the the server client. And I think ICC has a version of it now too. Dasher. I think it's called Dasher. Yeah, is that right? Is that what yes. it's called? Yes, that's what it's called. And Which at the time terrible. just, well, at, yeah, but in like 1999 or 98 or whenever it came out, it just felt like the greatest thing in the history of chess. You know, it was, it was, right. it was clean. It was easy to use. Uh, they had taken some of the old, if you remember the original Blitzens on ICC, it was all like command prompt, right? You oh, would literally right, yeah. just type in commands. And Dasher sort of modernized that a bit where it was like there were actual buttons you could use and just, mm-hmm. you know, it was a little more user-friendly uh, in my opinion. You know, this this kind of, I don't want to derail this too much, but, um, well, these things often do get derailed. But uh, what about Fix? Like, I for, totally forgot to mention Fix. Oh, yeah. Fix. Yeah, I was so never Fix, really FICS for those who yes. aren't sure, free internet chess server. I was never really, like, into Bughouse or or like crazy house uh, that much. I mean, as uh, despite like, I have a lot of respect for it, of course, but you know, I know that's mostly where the hardcore uh, bug people were going. Yeah. You know, actually that's true. And that's what drew me to fix was the bug house scene, which was at the time unparalleled. Like there was nowhere else to play online bug house. And Mm It was actually for what it was, you know, at that time, it was remarkably like functional. You know, there were quick chat commands where you could say, you know, like, give me a knight, give me a bishop. Or, right, yeah, don't for as janky, yeah. as janky as it was, like, <laughs> it, I mean, it, the jankiness was inde- somewhat endearing, you know, not enraging, right. I guess, like the command prompt versions of Blitzen that we alluded to earlier. No, it was. It was, you know, it was like fix to me, I guess the best way to describe it would be like a chess server for like computer programmers or like, you know, ms dos nerds or something right right it was um it was awesome for what it was to be totally honest with you like once you learned how to use it and kind of got the hang of it it was great Uh, but it was very like um you know you had to kind of know yeah it was very minimalist you kind of had to know a little bit to get around it was awesome for bug house uh yeah it's funny because like even today, like a couple years ago at a US Open, I ran into somebody and we were playing Bug House like randomly with, you know, just Skittles in the hallway. And somehow, some way, Fix came up and it was like a badge of honor to have had like a, a Fix Bug House rating, you know? Right. Yeah, for sure. And it was such a like small said, community. That was the hardcore ones, you know? Right, right. And it was like such a small community that I remember the guy asked, and this was like 20 years later, you know, he's like, what was your, what was your Bug House handle? You know? And I told him, and he was like, oh, I don't remember you, but of course. But but the funny thing is, it's like you would expect to know almost everybody who played on the server. You know, it was like a club yeah. or something. Yeah. So yeah. I guess my my internet chess degeneracy probably began sometime around there, sometime between like uschess.live and playing Bug House on Fix. And then, you know, like my freshman year of college for me was 2001. Um, and at that time, uschess.live was really popular and still running. And I remember okay. playing games there until like many, many nights until like one or two in the morning, just trying to get my rapid rating like a little higher. Yeah, this was like, I would say age wise too. Um, I think also our timelines kind of match up. Like I, I believe I started playing on chess.net in like 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember this uh, basically because like uh, I, I was a total beginner. Like I definitely remember like scholars mating people. So like that's the kind of <laughs> level like that, you know, 
young. Oh, you just reminded me of something. I got to come back to it. All right, go, go. Um, <laughs> what, what were we talking about before? <laughs> so as soon as you said scholars oh, made. Oh, I, age-wise. Yes. Age-wise. Right. Got it. Sorry. Um, so like, yeah, college to, you know, later, I, by the time I got into college uh, was ICC. And yeah, it, it, like I would skip class if I was in a good blitz match, you know? Um, yeah, I, I would stay up like all night, like sometimes six in the morning. Like I just look out my window and it's just like out. all crusty eyed <laughs> and yes, <yeah>, light out. <laughs> so, yeah. You, so as soon as you so, said scholar, yeah, made, made. I had like a searing like photograph, like pop into my head. And I'm like way off. My timeline is way off. My internet just degeneracy began in like eighth grade. I remember with Henry Getz, who you know, and who mm-hmm. was a guest. I think he was. Yeah, he was Henry a guest on the show. Henry Barney Getz. Henry Barney Getz was a get, former former uh, guest on the show. So like not an enemy of the podcast, I guess. No, um, not at all. Henry's a good boy. <laughs> okay, get and this. I called we- him one yesterday too. <laughs> we would play on Yahoo Chess. Okay. Oh, Yahoo yeah, that's Chess. right. Yeah, I've done in that. like 1994 and like 1995. And back then, first of all, it was ridiculous. Like, I, I want to say it took them like a couple years to like figure out how to properly code, like promoting it on Passant. Um, mm-hmm. But also there was there weren't even <laughs> ratings. There were just like colored squares by your name. Right. So like yellow was like, you're really terrible, <laughs> you know, and like <laughs> orange was like, you're all right. And like red was like, okay, you're pretty good. And purple was like, okay, you know, you're using chess master 3000 to cheat, <laughs> you know, like, okay, that was the rating system on Yahoo chess in like 1995. And we would sit there and <laughs> play just like game after game after game, trying to get our rating into the purple. And we never could. I, we, we were also, also only like 1300 at the time. You know? uh, yeah. hundred percent. I, I think I, in elementary school, it started with like Yahoo kids and then like, <laughs> Yahoo chess and then also instant chess like before I really branched out to you know chess.net and began my degeneracy in earnest um but yeah like I just went to instantchess.com did you ever do that one I'm uh, not familiar with that one no yeah it, it was in, it was interesting but I just I tried it just now because uh you know we do such extensive preparation before the show and right. uh of yeah course. it just redirected me to hallmark chess. of the show so, redirected you to where to Leecha, so I don't really? get to see the old janky interface. You, I, I remember there being videos of like some guy who is terrible and obviously not cheating, and he was like, "This is for all of you who say I'm like I'm cheating," and then just like you give these, oh god, these terribly cheesy cliche lines, like you know, oh, I'm gonna push that past pawn like a pregnant woman or something like, like oh, I don't no. know, Ooh. just yeah, it's a little cringe, yeah, just, yeah very. Uh, yeah, very much a rube, you could say this guy is. Um, but yeah, interesting times. Okay, so here's a question, and this is sort of like the the OG measure of your chest degeneracy. Mm-hmm. Two-parter. One, did you know how to adjust your Blitzen client appropriately to minimize the min move time? And of two, what did you set your min move time to? Uh, I mean, it was the lowest possible setting. <laughs> I mean, there there had to be no animation, and yeah, there were there. You know, as as any proud degenerate would, you know, we played around with those settings. But right, and three, 
Could you give detailed directions on how to do it still to this day? Oh yeah, of course. It's like the <laughs> menu at the top and I, I forgot what it was under, but it was like, it was like maybe near, it was like maybe second from the right, like proper, not properties. I, 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 I could do it right now in like two seconds if I had Blitzen open right now. Oh my gosh. So, okay. Where, where all this came from. So let's sort of reset here. Where all this oh, came also from. Also real quick. I just want to add thief into the discussion. Like, Oh yes. That, but that was just an ICC client, right? If I remember correctly. Yes. Did you, were yeah. you, a, which one did you advocate for? I mean, obviously not Dasher. Was it Blitzen or Thief? Which did you call? Uh, only Blitzen. I never tried Thief because I've always had like some sort of paranoia of like, like me being canceled for cheating and stuff like that. Because like, I believe Thief, uh, I remember reading it in like an attack with Larry C column on the mm. once available, like uh, jeremysillman.com website where he talked about like Thief allowing you to like drain seconds from your opponent's clock or something like that. I oh, think wow. that that was the point. Like uh, that's where it comes from. I believe the name. Oh, wow. I wonder, I wonder if like all of the, the top end, like internet chess club bullet players would use that client expressly for that purpose. I don't know. That's just, that's just a, uh, you know, re- Republican party level conjecture so you know oh, i'm conspiracy theory me. here right yeah don't hit me with the angry dms on twitter so i you know um the reason i bring that up is like what 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 prompted our topic here what prompted our internet chess parentheses degeneracy and parentheses or maybe no parentheses um topic was there was a recent interview with hans neiman at the ftx crypto cup um and you could just almost like feel his pain at the loss and it made me think of like the history of uh, of internet play and particularly like grandmaster top level internet play that has brought us to a point where we have you know this 1.6 million dollar chess tour which is amazing but i think back to like i'm just going to drop a name here capilano bridge mm-hmm. playing on icc in like the early 2000s um, and yeah, i it was, wonder it was smallville before then Right, Capilano Capilano Bridge, and I think there was even another one in there somewhere, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm having trouble recalling, but yeah, Capilano Bridge was anonymous for a while. And I just think back to like, you know, to go from there, uh, and for those users who don't, or listeners who don't get the reference, that those were Hikaru Nakamura's ICC handles back when Mm -hmm. he was dominating everyone in Bullet. You know, how did we go from there, you know, watching Nakamura play Bullet till all hours of the morning? Um, and dominating people with like a 3,400 bullet rating, which was unheard of at the time to now we have this, you know, tour, essentially an an online rapid and blitz format tour, um, where all the top levels are playing. They're all playing online and humorously enough in Miami, some of them are even raging. Yes, (laughs) exactly. You can almost like, like, (laughs) oh, really? Okay. Well, yes. Oh, sorry. What were we going to ask? No, go. I want to, I want to hear the, as they should part elaborate. Well, I mean, it's just synonymous with, with online chess. Like you have to rage. Like what else are you going to do? Like you're a serial killer. If you don't do it. (laughs) You mean you just, you have to get the emotions out, right? You're just going to have them pent up if you're, if you're unable to. Yeah. Like I've never, I probably for somebody that like yells as loud as I do, um, (laughs) I haven't, I've broken remarkably few things like maybe one mouse uh i've thrown a laptop before 
never broken one. I mean, this is this is pretty normal to me, in my opinion. <laughs> Par for the course. Yeah, I, you know, course. actually, that's kind of surprising. I haven't seen a broken mouse yet, or even I haven't even seen like a. Have you even seen a mouse slam at one of these events? I think uh, I saw maybe like no. a mini mouse slam maybe. from Carlson. Maybe like, you know, just like a pick it up and tap it kind of thing. You know? I mean, I don't know if you could hear the audio, but like, I mean, I, I mean, there has to be, right? I mean, also too, my other answer to that question would be like, um, no, because I, I'm, I'm not playing. If, if I were playing, then there would definitely be <laughs> There would like, be mouse slams left and right. Oh, yeah. Um, also too, to like... How did we, with regards to your question, like how do we, how did we get here? Um, I think it, it would be important to, like, when we mention Nakamura's name, not to forget about some of his predecessors. Like, you probably remember Hawkeye better than I do. Yes, I do remember Hawkeye. Although I don't remember who Hawkeye was, I remember the handle. Roland Schmaltz. Ah, uh, from that's Germany. right. He yes, wrote I- the the chess server guide, um, which I heard, which wasn't as good as I hoped it would be. At least that's what I remember. But that was in the days, like, not he was the best with no pre-move. You know, I I don't think, there are not many people now who remember an era with no pre-move. Right. They wouldn't even consider no pre-move chess bullet chess, right? It's like some kind of heathen mm-hmm. endeavor. Yeah, but he was just incredible. Um, I mean, really, there's there's no way else to describe it. Like, this guy was... I guess a Nakamura before Nakamura with no pre-move, you know, um, like really an OG for like div- organically developing mouse speed, you know, that now we have all these like training things for. So, yeah, actually that's a question I was going to ask you. Um, you have, you have some street cred. So you have some street cred in the, in the internet bullet scene and the internet blitz scene and the internet, yeah. um, late night DJs. <laughs> yes. Uh, Internet and real life late night degen scene. <laughs> how, how, like what? How? I guess you know. Is there? Can you shed some insight as to how you became? What, what was your peak bullet? First of all, let's start there on ICC. I know your your peak blitz was uh, around thirty two hundred. Am I am I quoting that correctly? Uh, thirty one sixty something. Okay. Third thirty one sixty three maybe something like that. Yeah. Um, that Which was is like highest. you know super GM level on on I, I mean. Uh, in, in terms of what they could achieve in, in bullet and blitz, right? Yeah. Like I, I was definitely like on the best list for sure. Um, I mean, it, it was really uh, like a golden era when you had to be 3000 to, to be just on the bottom of the best list. Like I forgot how many people were on such a list, like maybe 15 or 20. Um, but like, it was like, yeah, it, it felt like if I was doing well in that, just like in any gaming thing, it felt like I was doing well in life. Uh, you know, even though there was like a cost, maybe at me missing my classes or like a bunch <laughs> of sleep. But um, but your rating was over 3,100, so it didn't matter. Right, exactly. I was doing great in life. Um, and yeah, like for, I don't know my highest ever bullet rating, but, but for the one minute pool... Uh, I believe it was over 2650. Um, and I was like number one a few times on there for bullet, but that was, uh, that was before, um, or that, sorry, that would be when Nakamura was inactive. Like he would go through some periods of inactivity. Like, yeah, it would, it would be very hard for me to mess with that guy. So run us through like what, 
how, how do you become that fast? I know there's like some rumors that like today's top bullet players uh, might even use like iPads or something. Obviously, you know, that wasn't an option in like 2002. Um, you know, how do you become that fast? What did you do to like work on your mouse skills, to work on your pre-move, your anticipation? What what were the techniques? How did you get, how did you do it? I'm curious because I sure, I sure tried, you know? Um, right. So what did you do? Honestly, I don't think I would have any really valuable advice because <laughs> I feel like everybody is faster than me now. And especially like you have certain sites where the pre-moves go through like almost seamlessly or, um, you yeah, know, like no, chess.com. No you could, time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or you could stack pre-moves. Like a lot of that kind of goes out the window. So you, it, like, I mean, ev- everybody nowadays uses like a, a gaming mouse, like, uh, which I, I wasn't like widely a thing, I believe, amongst <laughs> internet chess players back in the day. Uh, yeah, the last yeah, I mean, time I uh, witnessed you playing Bullet, you were using a mouse that looked looked like it had probably been from two thousand two. <laughs> oh right, like, yeah. That like and the my wire computer, was like barely connected computer? to the computer. <laughs> yeah, and it was like a a Dell Inspiron, like right. You described. <laughs> yeah, it was a. Oh my God, what was it? It was a Dell. Uh oh, well, what's that really primitive? Uh, I forgot the. It looked like it could probably still run Internet Explorer three. It, you know what? It probably could, and you called such a setup <laughs> or like Mozilla Firefox, <laughs> Mozilla Firefox, the original one. Right. Yeah. I just could. I just. I was like blown away. I was like, oh my gosh! Like, how am I that slow when Gopal is playing on like technology from like two thousand four? I mean, a lot of it is just like, like move, uh, like typical, like response pairs, pattern recognition, um, just like keeping a lot of your moves localized. Like that's, that's all, uh, stuff that's pretty normal. Like no long moves, like with your queen or like rook from a eight to a one. Um, and it's, it's kind of like getting into a trance or a rhythm, um, almost like if like if I was, I remember playing my best ever bullet chess. Uh, it felt as if it was kind of an out of body experience in the sense that uh, I was watching myself do it. I was just letting it happen rather than like forcing it to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's that's interesting. You described it as like an almost out of body experience, like like almost like a trance or like um... yeah. Like and you just had, like you, no, you in, entered yeah. into like some tantric state or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tantric state, comma oh, sutra. You know, it's all it's all the it's all the same thing. Um, horrific Midwestern pronunciation of, of it, words. No, it's okay. I mean, yeah, like that and the Kama Sutra are like very uh, related. You know, if you ask certain people, but um, <laughs> basically, what it? I mean, that's that's kind of all it, all it was. Um, and like, I just remember somehow like my body being totally relaxed, like not really tensing up, like, like staying relaxed during a time scramble is one of the hardest things to do. And, uh, I would say a big thing then was like focusing on your breathing. Um, you know, I've, I've, cause I've, I've seen people like in person, uh, time scrambles, like you can just tell like with the, the change of their breathing, like how, how nervous they are. It's pretty obvious. And like, so just being consistently mindful of that can help you, like just keep that like relaxed flowing uh, type state. I'm actually fascinated to hear this from you because I mean, this is really a revelation to be honest, because because I'm one of the most anxious people, you know, uh, no, actually, although that's a good point too, but like, you know, the, 
what pops into my head, I, when I asked the question, I was expecting like, you know, some sort of like mental answers, you know, like, I don't know, like increased focus or just like, you know, um, guessing at your opponent's moves or something. But, you know, almost everything you just said was like a physiological answer. You know, it was mm-hmm. something physical. It was something you were doing like with your body or your breathing. And to, I mean, it makes total sense, right? That that, that would have such an impact. Um, but it was a bit, of, it, it was a bit eye-opening for me to hear you talk so extensively and an answer about what you did to, to, to speed up your brain. Essentially, it was like a phys- physiological technique almost. Right. And like, yeah, definitely, definitely like having a rhythm, you know, it's, it's partly a technical thing, but could also be like a, a physiological thing in the way like your body is counting down, um, stuff like that. Uh, another thing that like I will mention is that like, yeah, at some point, like I was pretty fast, like, I guess when the technology was uh, primitive by today's standards. Um, but like a, a trademark of my style, according to William Aramil is the, uh, my willingness to play best move chess. Um, basically like even, even in the opening, you could see this pretty routinely. Like I'm, I know a lot of openings, but like, I'll, I'll take like some long things in the opening, deciding what to play, remember my analysis or like, um, you know, choosing a plan like a little bit after the opening. But I, I always try to keep pressure with with very strong moves. So oftentimes the pressure from that can cause opponents to buckle um, just because the moves are so strong. Plus, I can always speed up anyway and still maintain a pretty reasonable level of precision. So, it's yeah, an interesting like sometimes, approach. Like there, this reminds yeah. me of this article I read um, many years ago. It was an ESPN article about like, they tried to scientifically quantify like what it, I think it was ESPN, what it means to be in the zone. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how, what kind of mental state are you in? What, what's happening with like, you know, your nervous system, what's happening with your, you right. know, your physiological signs. So, I mean, it, it's very reminiscent of that. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've uh, said this too um, about pool players. Like I, I was looking at a video um, trying to draw like parallels between uh, other sports and pools. So like, you know, Tiger Woods, he said a lot of stuff similar to like what, um, I was talking about, about just like, you know, not forcing a performance, but just letting it happen. Yeah. You know, um, like rhythm for pool is like a very big part. Like if you can get into like such a groove, it feels like you're invincible almost. I love that. Especially this is, this is, what we talked about last month on the podcast, right? Which is like, yeah. how do you be your best self? How do you have your best chess performance? It's fascinating that we reached the same spot talking about internet chess degeneracy. Right. Absolutely. I, I want to, you know what? I want to throw this over to like Julia and JJ. Like <laughs> what does internet, what does, what do long internet binges do for your brain? You know? Is it here? I'm they, gonna throw it they to you. They make actually. me the person that I am today. What? <laughs> I'm gonna throw this to you, actually. Like, um, good or bad? Like, what do you think? Uh I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks it can't be good, but uh as joking as I was when I said that, I mean, I'm I'm actually mostly serious, I think. Like, I don't know if I I would be who I am without those long internet binges. And yeah, I mean, even the I people don't be right. Right, exactly, Cletus. <laughs> I mean, all no, my I mean, friends. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, like, you know, um, there's uh, there's something like really enjoyable about it, 
right? Oh, Just absolutely. Like playing, yeah. playing as long as you want, as many games you want, as many times you want, like even with a rating number in mind. There's something extremely satisfying. What is it? What is it? Do you think that's so satisfying about like reaching that goal? That like really, truly arbitrary goal that you set for yourself of like a rating goal, like a bullet rating goal. I'm gonna play even if it takes me till three a.m. I'm gonna hit this rating goal tonight. Why is that so satisfying? Uh, I mean, it's it's just the and then I'm gonna like, go post on it's Twitter. Just, about it's it. just the the determination, you know. It's just like reaching any other milestone. I mean. Later, I, I became kind of cynical uh, with those just because, like, I've I've done a decent amount of that in my life. And I think just later on, I, I realized, like, I could spend more time, like, studying chess or, or these days, like, writing about it. Um, you know, so it's like, I don't, I, I'll, I'll have those binges every now and then, and I, I'll flash back to that. But I also remember how much time that was taken away from those. But I, but it's just like anything else, though, like anything else you work hard towards in your life. Like you remember all the the moments where you're so close, um, you know, all the shit that you ate on the way there. And then just finally getting over that hump. Like it feels good. You know, it's it's a lot of quick serotonin. It does. It, it is almost like that. Right. There's almost like this release when you when you get there. Sort of like if you if you get to the end of a of a tournament, right? Like a, an actual over the board tournament, and you play your last round, and maybe you win, and you and you achieve your goal, you feel that same rush. Is that yeah. what's so addictive about chess? Is it that is that what we're seeking really? Is just like a, a quick fix, a quick like body drug fix? Yeah, I mean, if you well, yeah, I think like you know, because you you feel some sort of satisfaction um, with like a beautiful win, you know, or just like like not not just any win but like a crushing win you know mm-hmm. uh we feel uh you know our our heart flutters a bit right when we a dirty flag our our, our opponent right <laughs> or or we you know bishop h6 them or whatever but um you know we also feel like like screaming sometimes as i do all the time <laughs> you know are these those are just moments like of real like, emotions are those because we're invested of- and it's part of the obsession what are those moments of pure joy and like ecstasy? Are they worth all of the the screaming, mouse slamming? Do you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say even the uh, the screaming is is nice in its own way, just because like <laughs> well, you you need it. Like you need some sort of release. It's almost like it. It's almost like a less healthy version of crying. Interesting. You know, I mean, interesting it's, it's, that you conflate it with that, and even more interesting that you said less healthy. <laughs> but well, I see, yeah, your point. I mean, yeah, yeah, I see where you're right. Going. I mean, unless like you're you're crying to manipulate someone, well, that's not healthy. But um, yeah, I have mean, you ever it, cried it, after a bullet loss? No, never. How about a tournament loss? Uh, probably, yeah. As an adult. Uh, yeah, almost certainly. I mean, I not, it's very, very, very few, very, very few, but it's just like, usually where it would happen would be, it would probably be like a last round situation. Like you're right there. And then you're already so like emotionally exhausted. Mm-hmm. And then like, let's say you suffer some sort of setback, whatever it might be. 
And then you just have like nothing left. You just feel like a husk of a person. You know, that's probably yeah. a situation in which I would. I'm having trouble like uh, recalling certain instances because like the healthy, well-adjusted adult that I am, you know, I've <laughs> you shoved that out. in a part of my brain. Well, right. yeah, of course. Yeah. What am I going to do with that information? Exactly. So, <laughs> just put it in a part of my brain where I'm not going to see it. So I like it. You, you know, what? It? I want some more of it. What song is that? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like. Let me think. Song. I tried so Where's... hard. I can't get enough. Uh, what's the next line? Help me out. We didn't. Some. Uh, this is our, our knowledge of country music is really pathetic. Let's be honest. Oh, it, it is a country song. Yeah. Oh my I like God. It. I love it. I want some more of it. Sarah would know. Uh, Dr. Sarah. Falcon would know. She knows me. Anyway, um, you guys do a you yeah just one more like quick thing. You guys do a great uh, duet. I forgot what that song was. I think it was like I hate that song, but I only be, like it. It'll be it. it'll be baby, just let it be. It's yeah, baby Rizha and like Georgia, Florida Georgia line or something. Mm-hmm. We did a karaoke version of that. I cannot sing at all, for the record. But we well, did karaoke well, yeah. I mean, but you just. Well, yeah, I don't think you need to be able to to do that accent, which you did pretty well. So, like, as oh, long as you, you go for like, are pretty forward with that. I went full country. Exactly. No messing around. You know? Well, somebody told me a long time ago, which I think is like one hundred percent true. Like in karaoke, you can you can be one of two things, and you'll do fine. <clears throat> you can either be a great singer or you can be a great performer. Mm-hmm. I am not a great singer. So I have to go full full on like version two. I have to be a great performer. I know, man. When I heard you do that like country voice and that like awesome performance, I was like, <laughs> man, I wish he was my cousin. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh no. Oh no. So, you know, where all this came from, <clears throat> one one of the things that I say to students, pulling pulling this back out of out of who knows where, um what you were discussing reminded me of something, which is like how critical is it to be able to recover from a loss in chess? I actually think that that's like maybe the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like to be able to mentally recover from a loss, especially like, you know, if you're playing in like a a, a tournament in Europe where it's like one game a day, it's a little easier. You have more time to process it. You have some time to rest and relax and clear your head. Right. If you're playing in the U S if you're playing in like a, a Swiss tournament over the weekend, you might have seven rounds in like three days you have to be able to recover from a loss or even a bad draw like that you shouldn't have given up. You have to be able to do it and you have to be able to do it quickly. I think that's, I told told a story on the podcast about um, like finally beating like my difficult opponent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that was after a bad draw. Like I had a 2100 player like severely under pressure and I mean, he was, he was like maybe low 22 or I, no, no, very high 2100. And so, yeah, I just remember he defended well and held at the end. And then I had somebody, um, a spectator who could see that I was upset, but you know, it doesn't matter. Like, Hey, you missed this like very obvious move, like very crudely, you know, trying to point out this win. And I showed it to them. It took me, uh, five minutes to demonstrate it because like, this person was so stubborn and keep in mind the next round starting in like 10 and yeah. then all I got was, Oh, and I was just so <laughs> mad. I like stormed off, you know, just splashed some water on my face. And that's when I played, um, you know, Dimitri Gurevich, like he offered me a draw 
after e4 c5 and then i thought before you know for five minutes before playing knight f3 and playing on but it's like there's no time to even go back to your room at the pp hotel and you know try to eat a sandwich or something like that it's uh, yeah there's no time i mean some of those events your your game might finish and like the next round is already behind schedule you know because you've you've played over into the increment or something it's really Have tough we, and recovering from a loss is just it's it's crucial honestly if you if you can do it like a really a really good example of the importance i think of recovering from a loss was really the impetus or the inspiration for this episode which was um Neiman's meltdown after Hans Neiman Grandmaster Hans Neiman's meltdown um, after the first round in the Crypto Cup, which I'll, I'll briefly lay the table on, and then I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about. Um, Niemann was playing Polish Grandmaster Jan Krzysztof Duda, and mm-hmm. he had Duda under some pressure. It was a very tense position, very tenuous. Niemann was a little worse, but Duda was extremely low on the clock. And in that very tense, difficult situation, the laptop that the organizers, I believe it was the organizers had provided the laptop was not plugged in and actually died. So all of a sudden Duda, Duda's laptop goes out and he gets all this extra time to like consider and think about the position where Neiman is, you know, basically he's worse, but you know, it was very difficult. It was very tricky in that kind of time pressure. And it's, he sort of just gets this moment to think about it. And I think, you know, that, sort of very unfair situation um, really just got into Hans' head. I don't think he ever recovered from that loss for the rest of the event. It's hard to do, and it's so critical. And I, I think he he was he had some very nice games after that, but I don't think he was ever able to fully recover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, as far as, like, with that scenario, you know, that's just such a freak occurrence. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, like almost how can you recover from that? Right. Like it's so random. Yeah. I mean, but like you, you can recover by understanding just how free freak of an occurrence that is. Like, you know, there is all this like narrative about a new bad boy in chess expletive filled rant, this or that. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of feel for, for all that. Like that's what I'm doing in my head. I just don't like say it out loud because it's not socially acceptable, you know, but, but I mean, I feel <laughs> no, for I, that same, in a yeah. sense, but, but I mean, you, you have to, cause it's just like sort of a freak of nature. I mean, it's, it, it really is just such a freak occurrence, you know? I actually think in, in competitive chess that that is the single most frustrating thing is when something beyond your control you know, just almost like a random act of God somehow impacts the result of your game. It just feels like, you know, you've put all this effort in, you've put all this mental energy in, it's draining, you know, it's like a fight, it's a battle. And then just like out of nowhere, uh, and I've had this happen too, a a few times, just some random thing will impact your game. And it just feels like that more than anything, like I'd rather like hang a queen on the move than have something like that happen. Oh, yeah, it's it's the most enraging thing. I mean, partly because, like, you know, as chess players, we have such uh, control over our own, like, tiny little universe. So to... <laughs> that is such a great way of describing playing chess. I love it. Yeah, I mean, uh, this was, um, uh, I believe, talked about by... Uh, what's his name? He wrote the column, The Dutchman, Hans Rie. 
okay. in the uh, awesome but unfortunately titled uh, Dutch documentary uh, "A Love for Wood," which is on YouTube. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but hey, like if that documentary is, uh, you know, if the title is appropriate, then hey, I, I guess I'm a, a wood lover myself. But basically, you know, he he talks about the how chess players search for some sort of omnipotence to control, to have like just absolute power over everything, you know, on that board. And yeah, when just such a random thing uh, upsets that out of your control, it's just the, it's the one thing that wasn't supposed to happen. You know, it was the one thing not in the contract or the one thing you didn't sign up for. Right. Exactly. I've had everything from like weather, uh, you know, impact a game, the, the most infuriating of all time. Um, I was playing this very long and like, uh, wow. Now that I even mention it, there were two things that happened in the same game. I was playing this really long and, and very tense. And actually I I played extremely well um, game against uh, a grandmaster Mm -hmm. in Chicago. And we were playing right next to um, some version of Comic-Con. I think it might've been anime con. Or so, you know, one of those cons with like a lot of rowdy attendees. Yes. Um, And going on, so the the chess room was being held in this large ballroom. Right next to the ballroom, like literally right on the other side of the wall. I was maybe six feet from the wall. There was a thin wall. And right on the other side, anime con was happening. And what happened to be occurring right there on that side of the wall, like up against the wall, was a foam weapons competition. Uh, with with LARPers, okay? So if you're not familiar with the li- LARP, L-A-R-P is live action role play. These were people dressed up like their favorite characters, wielding foam weapons, like a foam, like a large foam spear, which is basically like a rod covered in foam so that it doesn't hurt too much when you get hit with it. Um, or like a, a foam God, sword. I, I bet you you wish they were quoted, or they were quoted with a you know, arsenic or, you know, or <laughs> right. just because, oh God, I'm so, so I'm enraged hearing this and you haven't even finished the story. Right. So as I'm, the, the story ac- actually, as it happens, this was the most frustrating. And like, I don't think I've ever been as angry after a loss as this particular game, but um, the story has a happy ending, believe it or not, even though I lose the game and I'm like infuriated. So the LARPers are out there. First of all, there's like a, I would later discover, I didn't see it during the round, but I would later discover there was a man dressed as a samurai yelling out loud commands, sort of like as the referee, right? Uh-huh. So you hear this guy like constantly yelling out like referee stuff um, randomly. You also hear like the thump, like a, but like loud thump of the foam weapons, like hitting each other and hitting the wall and hitting. Like- I remember hearing like, such, sorry to cut you off, but I, I remember hearing such a noise um, except like, like, like this thump you're talking about against the wall. But uh, yeah, when I was done with the, the tournament game, I went outside and all of them were wearing animal costumes for some reason. <laughs> like, Oh I yes. Was I was on. at a tournament with, uh, with a bunch of furries as well. That happened. That was a, that was a different time, different place. Actually, that was a tournament I was directing and it was a children's tournament and there was a furry convention going on next to it. Um, as, as there should be. But. <laughs> Gosh, what a nightmare. Okay. So, um, and of course, if you can imagine when like, Lots of people are beating each other up with foam weapons. They're also like 
making noise like they're yelling and they're screaming like as they whack each other and 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 do battle with these foam weapons right so there's mm-hmm. constant like yelling and screaming and like moaning of pain every now and then or like you know the referee yelling and the crowd there was a huge crowd watching the competition like cheering them on and this is all happening while i am playing an over the board game against a grandmaster okay pretty bad right i haven't even got to the worst part yet so i get into these very messy complications and um my opponent misses a, a win on the spot we both missed it. It was it was a nice brilliancy that he missed. And I'm kind of coming out of the complications, maybe in a tenable endgame, but I have a trick. And I throw the trick on the board with like maybe two and a half minutes left um, for both of us about. And I throw the trick on the board. And here's my moment where like something beyond my control is occurring. There are spectators watching our game because we're one of the last games going. And... Mm-hmm. Um, the the GM, it, it happens, I can picture it, it's so crystal clear to this day, that's how painful this moment was. I can like see it happening over and over again. The GM reaches for the piece that he's going to move to fall right into my trap. And it's like crushing game over. It's very hard to spot, it's a nice little trick. It's crushing game over. And he's like, literally his hand is like maybe a centimeter from touching it when one of the audience members turns around and says to his friend, why not? And then the move, right? Then the move. And the move basically gives away the whole idea. And he says it like whispering, like trying to not be loud, but we all hear him. And like the GM instantly pulls his hand back right before he touches the piece and like reevaluates the position. And then of course doesn't fall into the trap. I have never been more angry in my life. I have never been more like, it was like a move away from like, I set up this like nice and I had set it up like five or six moves previously. It was this nice little idea. It just looks like, okay, he's going to get into a much better end game. And there's this like really, really deep hidden intermezzo. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was just kind of like playing the variation out. You know what I mean? And he was reaching for the next piece to move and finish the variation. And then he stops and reevaluates and realizes he just has to like accept a dead equal position, which he eventually grinds me down in time pressure and wins. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to find that guy and grab a phone wep- foam weapon. And... Yeah. Anyway, so there is a happy ending though. <clears throat> after that round, I, I exited the, after I lost, I exited the playing hall. And it just so happened that at that exact moment, the LARPers were starting a, like their, their anime con, official anime con, like foam weapon tournament. Um, where like anybody could just walk up and enter and you would you would get to participate and you would do one-on-one matches with your foam weapon and, and kind of like an NCAA style bracket, right? Mm-hmm. And national tournament director and former guest of the podcast, Glenn Panner, can attest to this. Uh, I entered the foam weapons tournament and I like <laughs> released all of my r- pent up rage from like six hours against a grandmaster hearing them out there screaming and thumping around and whatnot. And of course that incident I talked about and I uh, actually, I won the foam weapons tournament and there's photo photographic ev- evidence of it uh, to this day. It still exists. How Glenn much took did some you pictures. win again? The, nothing for winning the foam weapons tournament other than the satisfaction of, I got like a, I got like a belt, like a championship belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course I got the satisfaction. I mean, Gopal, if you would have seen it, it was just like, you know, it was like, uh, you know, like the, the rodeo when they like unleash the bull, except uh, instead of a bull, it was like a chess player with a huge foam sword. <laughs> 
Yes. No, no, that's that's amazing. Like, and I like mean, the anime con people, great ending. you know, they're like not exactly like the most uh, athletic or in shape people necessarily all the and, time. And yeah, chess players are. And uh, not not like chess players are either, but it was just like, you know, it's, um, yeah, it was very satisfying to seek my vengeance upon uh, these poor. Uh, one of them was <laughs> one of them was like a 15 year old kid. <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't laugh about that, but it was really funny. Yeah, anyway, that was thought about it during the <laughs> during our teachings. Gosh, that was that was just the most like um, frustrating uh, experience at a chess game. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't even. Yeah, that's how I, I mean, recovered from that loss. Though I entered a LARP tournament with a giant foam sword and um, did battle with people like dressed up as like My Little Pony. Yeah, I mean, you know, you wouldn't think it's like the traditional recipe for success, but <laughs> I mean, we talked about the rage before, right? No, it is not the and, traditional. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but okay, like the you you actually got a chance to do it and I don't know if I'd say it was I mean, who who can say whether or not that's a healthy way to take out your rage, but you were able to, and that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was actually to be to be honest, it was actually really fun. Like, I started like getting into it and having a fun time, and you know, I would like you know bow to the samurai ref and stuff, and uh-huh. it ended up being like a, a good experience in the in the long run. But oh my gosh, that moment during the game, you know, if you can just imagine like playing like you're just struggling for six hours with all this noise, and you're really having to put in an immense amount of effort just to focus, and then to have just that one moment, and you know, who who can say who can say what would have happened. You know, had that spectator not spoken up, um, I right? Yeah, don't, he could have. You know, yeah, he could have retracted. Uh, could have seen it anyway. Could exactly. Could have seen it. I could. I might not have finished the game anyway if I, even if he had gone into it. You know, I might. I have mean, the most elsewhere. cruel thing though is, is you felt like you had hope there, right? Oh, okay. We got to wrap this up, Gopal. We got. We've still got like two more segments to get to. So, uh, bring it home for us. Um, Internet chess degeneracy. The final word from Gopal Menon. Um, you know, I've always felt, I mean, okay, whatever. This is just going to sound weird, like obsessive, uh, about chess. Uh, you know, I could read like a chess book that I'm really into, like under the surface. Um, one I've been talking about a lot lately, invisible chess moves. I could, I've read a lot of these books in like a single day. Um, and I've always been like kind of a fanatic when it comes to studying chess, um, like if I find a new opening idea, I just want to get to the bottom of it. And like, I, I can't leave my house uh, unless I do. Cause I feel like somebody random on the street will question me about it, you know? So I don't know if I, if that's normal or not, or mentally healthy, but I feel like all the same things apply for internet chess degeneracy. I think for any sort of modern player, um, it's a very common and understandable thing with various highs and lows, um, you know, some of the logic, like, you know, if, if you're doing well online, you're doing well in life or in like actual chess, some of that logic doesn't really hold water, but you know, we feel something. Yeah. And that's what we need as human beings. I've, I've been told is to, to feel stuff. So you've been told (laughs) maybe, yeah, maybe. Okay, we got to move on. Uh, thank you for wrapping that up so eloquently. Very nice. Are you, you. Uh, working on like poetry? No, uh, okay. but uh, yeah, well, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. Poetry on the board. The chess speaks for itself. The chess does speak for itself. Speaking okay. of which. Speaking of which, we have a user-submitted matchup. <clears throat> so for our listeners who may be new and haven't heard the past few episodes, uh, each month we have a hypothetical 24-game chess match between two maybe fictional characters, maybe real people, maybe some combination of the two. Um, our previous month, we did Andre the Giant versus, help me out here, who, was, who did he match up against? Uh, Michael Scott. Right, Michael Scott from The Office. Yeah, um, crushing victory for Andre the Giant. Right, which we it wasn't too close. Yeah. So this week we have another user submitted one. <clears throat> These are two characters, which I think this this is going to be an interesting one. We have our first computer. So mm-hmm. right, the man versus machine, right? Kasparov versus Deep Blue. Um, what was it? Kromnik versus Deep Fritz, right? Something like that. Yeah, Deep Fritz, Deep Junior. Kasparov Deep played Junior, Deep Junior too. Kasparov versus Deep Junior. So we have a man versus machine. We have a human versus computer matchup. Adams and of versus course, Hydra. Adams versus Hydra. Yeah, that was a great one. I really enjoyed that one. It, you know, in the chess world, human versus computer at the moment. I mean, computer. There's there's no contest, right? Computers are, are killing or right, everyone. unless it's like correspondence. Uh, but yeah, sure. real time game, then no chance. So th- this should be very interesting because maybe the human has a chance here. The matchup: John Wick, fictional action hero played by Keanu Reeves, John Wick from mm-hmm. the John Wick trilogy versus the Terminator played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And of course the Terminator, I, I don't even know how many Terminator movies there are now. There's more than three. I think the original, there were three. I think they made some like, you know, yeah, maybe some straight to, to VHS releases. To VHS, or... yeah. I like how we still say VHS. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, I feel like by saying that we emphasize the cheesiness, um, Right. Of it, you know. So there's the matchup. It, it is a human versus computer. The Terminator, as is known, is like a, a robot, like a cybernetic computery thingy mm-hmm. machine, right? Yeah. Um, one one note, and this was interesting. I thought of this after our last matchup. When we did Andre the Giant versus uh, Michael Scott, we only considered Andre the Giant's like real world like potential, but we didn't consider any of the acting roles he played, fictional characters. So I think we can kind of do both here. <clears throat> right. Like this is a shadow match between between John Wick versus Terminator. Perhaps also some elements of Keanu Reeves who played John Wick and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <clears throat> Notice I'm saying Arnold. Like, right. Um, yeah. Who played like you're Terminator. from Boston, um, and not like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yes. So anyway, we can. Anyway, we could perhaps consider what attributes the. Uh, the man behind the mask, the people behind the character may also bring to the table. Again, tale of the tape. This is a 24 game chess match. John Wick versus the Terminator. Gopal, where do we start? Who's winning this match? I mean, this is perhaps the most difficult call I've had to make so far. Um, and thank you for, uh, thank you to whomever suggested this. This is an excellent thing. Um, okay, so now that I've bought my time... In, in uh, my excellent some... preparation, I forgot to write down the username of the person who's just... Ah, yeah, yes, yeah. of course. Um, but yeah, now that I've bought some time, uh, honestly, I don't know. I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say John Wick because he's a real person. So your gut the Terminator isn't. Yeah. But, and then I realized the flaw in my logic was, wait, they're not real people at all. Neither of them. Uh, so well, also computers aren't real people, right? But computers can play pretty well. 
Yeah, of course. Um, right, exactly. So yeah, when you really put it under the microscope, it kind of falls apart. Um, you know. So let's let's here, here's what I suggest. Let's do what we did last time. Let's start by going through like it, each each of their strengths and weaknesses. Maybe consider right, that's their, what their I was team of do. seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who so, do you want to begin with, Wick or the Terminator? Uh, I mean, I'll start with Wick. Like. Okay. We know he can speak Russian, so this is kind of reminiscent of uh, Fisher, like when he learned Russian to be able to, uh, you know, peruse Russian books and periodicals and stuff. Uh, one of his favorites that was uh, many years later translated into English was Questions of Modern Chess Theory by Isaac Lipnitsky. Um, and he always referred to Lipnitsky in his writings. And anyway, so there is that aspect of it. So you'd have to imagine uh, during his time with the Russian mob that he had some sort of exposure to chess, or at least looks uh, fondly upon it, you know? Right. Would not surprise me if he was like a, um, you know, a, a secret, uh, very strong player. And, and we've seen him. Exactly. And like, we've seen the level of uh, just raw determination and grittiness. And also perhaps the most important thing, kind of like, a Kamsky in a way, you know, being able to come out of a, a multiple year hi- hibernation and just, you know, sure. Yeah. They're going to be a little, uh, there's a little rough patch here and there, but before you know it, it's, it's just like he never left. Right. That's a good point. I mean, he gives up his, his life of high crime and, and villainy to, um, you know, settle down. And then of course returns seemingly not to have lost any step whatsoever. Right. Okay, interesting. Absolutely. I think perhaps is perhaps the strongest attribute that you've lit it, listed is like you know the grittiness, the determination. Obviously, yeah. in a very long match that's going to come in really, really important. And and just the lack of uh, fear, you know, you never really see that in his eyes. I think in any of the movies, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh, good point. I think yeah. I think what we're seeing here is he's scoring like extremely well on you know like traits or attributes that. Um, will serve you well in a match. Yeah, just the downside is if you're playing a computer, that could be uh, difficult. Um, yeah, so let's know. switch over to the Terminator. What, what about his strengths and weaknesses? What are we thinking here? Uh, Does Wick have any weaknesses? We didn't even get to that. Does he have any? I mean, maybe the fact that he's a human being. Uh, Ooh, and interesting. He's, he's physically, weaknesses I mean, being human. Because I was going to say, if the if the Terminator being a, hum, a human, uh, his strength, like one of the biggest strengths probably has to be the, the stamina. You know, a computer is not going right. to get tired right. unless you're Jan Krzysztof Duda's laptop. But... <laughs> oh my God, that was great. Okay, right. it's almost like we wrote the joke beforehand. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope they they don't think I did. That was I, I'm going to take the. I no, need to that take was the way too well. I, as is yeah. known, we we uh, we didn't. Uh, yeah, we do a lot of preparation. But anyway, yes, correct. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm also wondering because you know these computers are totally malleable, so the preparation could look like anything. I'm wondering if the Terminator would probably use some uh, meta game tactics if it would be the first computer to do so. Kind of like a more extreme version of uh, what was going on Karpov Korchnoi in 1978, where you know the Terminator does something or says something to trigger John Wick's PTSD. Oh no! Oh, yes, kind of like the illusion defense, right? Like 
in their quote unquote world championship, like he, like he gets uh, triggered and like, you know, then it's all downhill from there. So like, let me ask a question. Does Wick like wear some kind of earbuds or sunglasses a la Corchnoy to like deflect this potential, like uh, psychological warfare? Uh, yeah. I mean, if it's allowed, I think he should. I mean, why not? I don't, I don't think that it could, uh, I don't think it, it would hurt. Probably also, here's a help. question. Like, Wick's, Wick's recklessness, advantage or disadvantage? Strength or weakness? Um, I mean, whatever he does, I'll say this. Like, he does it with a very full level of commitment. Um, I mean, I'm sure he knows his limitations, but he also knows that he can't, uh, approach anything with, with any sort of fear or trepidation, you know? So long run, I think it's good against a computer. I'm not sure. Um, but again, like Wick obviously like has extensive training in martial arts. And so you think he would adapt his training to do whatever he needs to, in order to get the job done in a 24 game match. You would think so. I I agree. So Okay, here's here's something we considered for our last matchup as well. And I think this is where it's really going to get interesting. Um, one thing we always think about or look at when considering a match is the teams behind both players, mm-hmm. right? Who are their seconds? Who's their team? A good team can really change the outcome of the match. So here's my first question. Does John Wick even have a team? Does he have any seconds? He's you so know, lone wolf. You'll see... Yeah, but you know, you'll see he he has people like like the guy uh, from the auto shop, you know, the the dude at the front desk of the Continental. Even though you know, whatever, you can't be like favoring anybody. Um, I think he he has people that like have popped in and out of his life, and and vice versa. Um, they may like and, leave a secret note under his hotel door with like a critical variation in the Ragozin. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, maybe even uh, from whom he had learned his, uh, his skills from, you know, maybe somehow there's some sort of reconnection unless it was a Russian mob person, then probably not. Um, but yeah, very easy to see him being a sort of a lone wolf, almost like, again, kind of like another parallel to Fisher. Right. Okay. So, Maybe like some kind of background here and there assistance, but lar- in large part, maybe like no dedicated team, no dedicated second. Right. Like maybe uh, kind of like I, I don't know about uh, as much as I, I've studied Fisher, like as far as the technical help is concerned, um, you know, one kind of gets the impression of uh, second, like Lombardi is mostly right. There Lombardi for, like, was emotional the name that came support. to mind. Yeah. Right, like a, emotional support, or like, you know, because Fisher was very secretive. Um, you mm-hmm. know, this is saying nothing uh, about Lombardi, but like, you know, Fisher is very secretive about his prep, and like, yeah, I'm sure he showed some things, but you know, hard to see that that team was coming up with like such amazing bombshells. I mean, and it would be hard to against the whole Soviet system. So is that is that Wick? Right, he just he comes up with his own bombshells and holds on to them. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I'm seeing a lot of parallels between Wick and Fisher. Like Fisher also too, you remember he didn't, uh, there were certain years where, or periods where he would just uh, hibernate, you know, usually for different reasons, but I'm seeing a lot of parallels between them. 
So I'm going to go with that. So the Terminator has Skynet, uh, which is like a gigantic, you know, company with uh, extremely advanced technology. They have a bunch of machines that like made more machines themselves and created like next generation cyborgs. I don't know. That seems like a pretty powerful uh, team of seconds there for a 24 game chess match. So due to our extensive uh, preparation, I'm looking at the first Terminator film. And so it was 1984, 1991. So I'm kind of like, for some reason, the first computer that came to my mind, probably because I was thinking about the time period in which the Terminator existed, uh, was Deep Thought. Something to consider, though. The Terminator comes back to 1984 or whenever, like the 80s. The Terminator comes back to the 80s from like 2037 or something. Right. Right, But yeah, I mean, back in time through some portal. So his training and like his prep could come from 2037 as well as 1984. Could have both. That's, yeah, that's very interesting. Cause like if you think about how like sterile top level classical chess can get at times, um, you know, depending on what type of like super draws, very (laughs) super draw variations from 20. Yeah. I mean, he might, he might never. He they might, might have solved lose. chess by the time that he comes back. Right. Un- exactly. Unlikely, but I mean, not, not without. I mean, I kind of, I don't know if I really want to root for somebody, but I just like, you know, it's a computer versus a human. You want to think the human has a chance. So like, you know, I kind of want to make a compromise, like deep thought, like 89, 91, maybe is the Terminator's <laughs> level, but in which case, Wick has a very fighting chance. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but if he's got, like, you know, AlphaGo 9 from 2037. Right, and he's just not going to lose, you know. That's, I mean, that's tough action for anybody. Even Alpha Zero, like, now, probably. Right. Hmm. You know, some another another element to consider is, I believe, you know, like, the Terminator is kind of like one of those AI things, right? Where, like, they they learn on the go as well. So right. on, on one side of the coin that improves their chances, but on the other side of the coin, maybe, maybe like Skynet in the future doesn't have the foresight to like prep him before sending him back. And they're just like, he's AI. We'll send him back. He can learn on the go and how to play chess. Right. But he's just trapped against John Wick though. Right. In, that, in which case, yeah, like, so. you know, early, early on in the match before like the AI learning can kick in, Wick is a huge favorite. I mean, so there are so many. There are way too many Twenty-four games, not enough sample size, right, for AI to really, really learn. Oh yeah, that's true. Especially if it's like totally organic. Uh, but right. you know, twenty thirty-seven technology could extrapolate quite a bit from maybe five games. You know, when instead of like a hundred, you know, and that's not to count how many games it could play against itself in between matches. In between, right? Matches. And then yeah, with the speed that you would think somebody would have at twenty thirty-seven to do that, then yeah, you would think it would be just as good, if not better, than in like any neural net today. It would probably right. be the best thing you'd ever see. So, I mean, look, there's so many permutations to this. I, I honestly don't know. Um, if I think about the version, I mean, for me, probably the most interesting version would be the, like I said, the early forms of the chess computers, kind of right. like in the late 80s, early 90s. And and we would have a, a fighting chance. Um, yeah, I really wish I thought about that uh, because then I could have looked at the 
Um, I love watching those like infographics of, um, you know, the highest rated like engines or like go players or um, even chess From players decade, like of all time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love you know, off that. the top of my head and this could be just completely inaccurate, but I want to say in the eighties computers were maybe like a 2400 level. Right. I have no idea. That's just a, that's just a random number I'm pulling out of thin air, but that sounds kind of right. I mean, and I would assume that we think that like our contestants are at least like 2400 level. Um, you know, the manner in which we've spoke about, I mean, the, or the, even if the, they're not, they, that they could get there with like proper training and the preparation of their seconds. Right. Right. Yeah. Except for maybe Michael Scott, I think he was probably the most uh, hopeless out of all of them, <laughs> but I mean like, Fair. you know, Shrek, Shrek could easily oh, be 2,500. Right. Easily. Uh, Beth Harmon, Probably already was, yeah. Yeah, right. And then, um, who did Beth? I mean, Andre against? the Giant. We knew. Who did we put I Beth mean, up against? Do you remember? Shrek. Oh, Shrek! Shrek of course. Oh my gosh! Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a good match. Shrek all day, baby. I think I took Beth, but I didn't feel great about it. Shrek has yeah. like a lot of you know, like supernatural advantages, you know. That's true. Um, I mean, but you know, we're doing something here where it's literally human against a computer. Like, if that ain't right. That's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's man like versus the machine, the classic thing. matchup, right? Like great, mm-hmm. great suggestion for this matchup. All right. We got to pick a winner. Go Paul. The sentimental favorite. I think your heart is with wick. Who, who are you taking in this one? Uh, I have to, but I don't feel great about it. I mean, if, uh, but I think the terminator wins, you know, honestly, like, but it, it depends. Like I said, I mean, all the variables could be one way or another, but, it don't. It doesn't look good for Wick as much as I. It pains me to say that. You know, I have to agree with you. I mean, you really want to feel like his his brute force and like sheer will would would somehow overcome a match against the Terminator. But I just don't think, especially you know, there's so many different ways that the Terminator could could gain access to like neural net twenty thirty seven technology. Who knows what? Oh, I'm with you. It hurts. It hurts deep. I'm taking Arnold. I'll be yeah. back. That's a terrible Arnold impression. Yeah. It, that's, well, it's unfortunate, but you know, in many ways, for chess is like that. I mean, you know, we can't play against computers in real time games anymore. Now, yeah. if it were correspondence chess, um, you know, yeah. Wick might, he might only lose a game. I mean, he might only lose like by one or two games in the regular format anyway but like you definitely feel like with the correspondence just he's got a fighting chance so i would agree all right very good very good we've got one last segment let's get to it um this is this month in chess where we run down some of the top stories in chess gopal we're going to start with the olympiad it was a really interesting olympiad um the american team unfortunately finished just out of the medal just off the podium in both the men's and women's categories fifth place on tie breaks in the open I shouldn't say men's and women, the open category. And fourth place on tie breaks in the women's. Um, the winners uh, in the open section, Uzbekistan. Surprise winner. Maybe not. Maybe shouldn't have been a surprise. Um, Uzbekistan comes in uh, atop the leaderboard. Uh, Armenia without Leveronian anymore, of course, is playing uh, under the American flag. Uh, finishes second. India two third and India one fourth. Of course, the U.S. then fifth on tie breaks. Um, a lot to react here, Gopal. I'm going to give you one more thing before we move on. This is a big one. We've really only got two here in our This Month in Chess. So a couple more things to react to. Gukesh, 
a rising Indian Grandmaster, gains 30 rating points. He's he's actually still on a tear. He's playing in the Turkish League right now. He's now 27-28 in the live ratings, number 21 in the world overall. He's only 16 years old. Abdu Satorov, the Uzbeki uh, board number one. Uh, Uzbekistani? Uzbeki? Which one? Uz- Uzbeki, I believe. Uzbeki? Okay. Uh, anyway, he's now... Tw- Uzbeki with the good hair? <laughs> he's now also over 2,700 in live ratings. 2,703 gained 26 rating points at the Olympiad. He's only 17 years old. And then... Gabriel Sargisian. The world rapid champion as well. World rapid champion as well. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and then Gabriel Sargisian, whose uh, games I used to follow with great interest, uh, still do, I should say. Um, back over 2,700. I believe he's been there before. Uh, gained 13.4 yeah, rating is. points. 27.11. He is 38 years old. React wherever you would like. You can start anywhere. And what do you think? Olympiad. Um, yeah. I mean, the it, it, like really... What can I say that hasn't been said? I mean, it's just absolutely sensational. Um, I mean, you have to feel so happy for these, for the Uzbeki players. Um, and I think to a certain extent, like, because of how hot some of these players were, um, it overshadowed a few of the other results I thought were remarkable. So, like, uh, to me, stylistically, I really like the way uh, Sindarov plays. Um, he plays in a very enterprising manner with with both colors, um, especially black. Like uh, apart from like Alexander Injic, you don't really see too many people uh, regularly venturing uh, the Benoni these days. Like usually, yeah. uh, to be fair, Sindarov like prefers the closed Benoni or Kings Indian um, those types. But like he's he has a lot of very interesting ideas. Like I, I was following uh, a lot of cool ideas he had in the Evans Gambit, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. And checking some of his preparation along with some games of Sergei Zhigalko looks like that's good to go again, you know? And it was it had looked like it, that opening had been seeing some rough times in recent years. But um, those are just some examples. Like, I really love his play. Um, Gukesh, sensational result. Uh, but, like, I feel the way that people are talking about it um, is that, like, it's never happened before i mean and it is such a special result don't get me wrong but like we've seen this before even with players like wesley so and other young flavors of the month you know there there does come a point where they do slow down like even way Yi, um remember remembering how sensational his rise was um when he becomes an elite player then you know he's no longer the underdog he's the favorite and it's just a different dynamic you know, and sometimes as the player, it's hard to adjust to that dynamic. Right. Absolutely. So it's like, you know, yeah, you can be running good for a while, but it does end at some point. So it's like people saying that the real deal or whatever, um, I believe I saw Susan Polgar saying that, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it because like, I've seen a lot of good runs in my life. Um, a very impressive run for me and a guy that's always been very steady was uh, uh, Arjun Irigaisi. Yes, I didn't even mention excellent him. Excellent yeah. result. Go he ahead. had an excellent result, but it again that like Gukesh's performance kind of overshadowed that um, a bit. But like he's been rising very, very consistently, and uh, probably yeah. I mean, like he he's just right there behind it. And also to add to my Gukesh thing, he was a, he won his first three games in the. Um, Turkish league. And then he lost to experienced grandmaster Mikhail Kobalia and Magsudlu before 
bouncing back to Idani um, against Idani today. Yeah, actually, so um, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, the the transformation almost, right, from up-and-comer, sensational talent to, oh, now I'm the favorite. I, I look at this Olympiad as almost like the announcement of the new generation. You know, we have the the Carlson, Caruana, uh, Aronian generation who is at the top, dominate, you know, have dominated the chess world for, what, a decade? Um yeah. Probably we include like So Naka in that generation. Um, Absolutely. And Mamidyarov, Giri, Vashilagrav, those guys. This group, and I'm just going to go through it here. The Olympiad was really sort of their, um, I think, I don't want to say emergence. That's not quite the right word, but it was sort of the, the statement that this is the next generation. And they're probably a lot closer to, to sort of dominating that top 15 to 20 than than we knew before the Olympiad. So it's Gukesh, yeah. Aragaisu, who you mentioned. By the way, Aragaisu, he should have been in my notes. Gained 25 rating points, 27-14 in the live rating. Only 18 years old. Um, and yeah, just a very steady, consistent riser and like very good chess. Like I, I would probably attribute part of it, uh, you'd have to think, to training with Kasim Zhanov after like Kasim Zhanov's yeah. contract with Fabi ended. So... Didn't I also see that? Uh, so, am I am I remembering correctly that Sokolov was working with the Uzbekistan team as well? Uh, yeah, that's correct. I don't know if uh, Kasim Zhanov had anything to do with them, to be honest. But yeah, Ivan Sokolov, a very experienced GM and trainer. Um, also, I want to touch on Sargisian. Like, you know, it's really great to see a player of that age uh, to succeed because, like, yeah. we've talked about Shirov this like, I, as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Back over. 2700 after you know like a few years of of just kind of uh like middle end results but i i just feel like the the tendency is to focus like for chess media and the public to focus on the the younger talent um but like you know these these guys are amazing i remember sitting next to sargisian at, at one of the chicago opens like i was playing next to him uh in the roped off area and i, I just remember thinking like you know, how does anybody beat this guy? Like, he's just, he just has no obvious weaknesses. Uh, so technically sound. There's no gimmicks in his opening repertoire. Um, yeah, I mean, just like, it, like, yeah, just just great player. You know, the fact that he he's not like at the top, top, top really kind of boggled my mind at the time, you know? Yeah. It would be a, it would be a great story to see him actually get back there. Um, you know, uh, I, it's funny to say like at this age he's younger than I am. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, oh man, I think his peak was old. only twenty seven oh two though. Um, it's twenty seven eleven now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, pre, yeah published. Crazy. I mean, Re- yeah, reached his maybe perhaps is going to reach his uh, his peak. It's I'm, all, I'm also just, like like Granda at fifty. Or remember, he made yeah, like twenty six ninety nine. Yeah, incredible player. I'm going to run through this this list here, and I'm just curious. Uh, this is going to be just a, a completely weird and pointless exercise, but um, so is the entire rest of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you. I'm going to rule out Ferruja because we are. You know, he's kind of in a different class already. I would say. Absolutely, but I'm going to yeah. give you names two through eleven. Mm-hmm. I'll even go to twelve on the list of the current top juniors in the world. 
Give me two or three from this list who you think we might see competing for a world championship someday. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Gukesh. Yeah. Eric Geisi. Abdus Satorov. Vincent Keimer, Germany. Hans Niemann. Esipenko. Pragnandana. Nihal Sarin. Yakubayev, the other uh, very strong uh, Uzbeka, Uzbekistani player. And Sindarov, mm-hmm. who you also mentioned. Who do you like from that group? Who's going to emerge? Who's going to... Who do you think can get there? You know, who do you think can get there? Sustain and play the role of the favorite. Man, that's that's so tough. And I think that's kind of what, um, yeah, I mean, that's really what what makes this uh, this whole rise of youngsters uh, kind of a crazy thing to watch, just because it, it could be like almost any of those names. Um, I'll give you my two. I think you, you can think. Oh, you got you got him. You want it? You want yeah, more time? Yeah, I, I have. Yeah, I have Irigaisi and man, this is tough. I mean, I I honestly don't know. Um, me, I mean, I guess Ab- Abdul Satarov because he already has wow. won a world championship. Same two. Same two. Mine are the same two. W- what do you like right. about those two? What made you pick them out? It's interesting. We had the exact same two names <laughs> in mind. Uh, just their steadiness, um, how well prepared they are. Um, you know, uh, like I, I've taken a look at a lot of Abdul Satrov's ideas and yeah, he's got a lot of interesting twists on well-known openings of um, nothing too quirky, uh, but you know, just again, very fundamentally solid kind of reminds me of like a Sargassian, but like one that plays E4 as white as well. Um, Irigaisi is such a wide opening repertoire and like seems to thrive in a number of crazy positions. Um, it's really remarkable how wide his opening repertoire is kind of like uh, Rostam. And yeah, you just think that that's such a big advantage in today's um, era. You know, he could play, you know, your, his Berlins and Petrovs says, you know, he could play his sharp Sicilians or, you know, anything else. It's interesting you mentioned steadiness um, because I would say the same thing, not just steadiness at the board with the repertoire, with their decisions, but I would say just steadiness of demeanor is what draw, drew me to those two names. Yeah, you know, absolutely. They're so cool two. and calm under pressure. It's almost like they can't be shaken. They're resourceful. And all these things I'm saying right now, by the way, you could say them about any name I just read off. Any name right. I just read off, you could say that about but these two in particular, they seem to have just even even a little extra something in that department where they're just, just very the, hard to rattle. Yeah, just continually rising. It's like Gukesh, obviously, super strong, right? And But the rise is so sudden, you know, whereas with Irigaisi, I've seen this just time and time again over the past, like, year or two, you know? Right. Um, just, like, just clawing his way because it's, it's so hard to gain rating points to that level like <clears throat> Gukesh you know obviously picked up a, a nice chunk in the last tournament but um all at once but Irigaisi really you have to admire how he just chipped away uh, to gain to get where he is and still rising today like today he beat Raunak Sadwani in the Dubai Open hmm. or yeah Abu Dhabi Open um yeah so like still still going 
All right. Go, Paul. This was a lot of fun. Uh, that's the only This Month in Chess uh, news item, by the way, this week, because it was such a big one. Um, there were a few other things that happened. I'll run down a few headlines. Carlson wins the FTX Crypto Cup, although, uh, of course, uh, Prognandina beats him in uh, in the in that round as well. Um, go, Paul. Final word. What do you think? How do we uh, put a bow on this one? We've got Terminator over WIC. We've got a deep investigation into internet chess. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, it's it's not daddy out. It's just like, you know, thinking about internet chess, um, it it always, I don't know, I guess it it, maybe it makes me a boomer to like reminisce about the good old days uh, of internet chess and like the the janky clients. uh, uh, um, (laughs) Yeah, you know, you're going to feel really, really, um, let's politely call it old school when you are strapping on a headset and walking to the park in the metaverse to play some 3d chess with like uh, uh blitzen know. yeah well you know i'm i'm just except an old blitzen soul is like like, a, let's say uh, that model. yeah <laughs> no, except blitzen kidding. is like a 3d that. model of like Fisher or something that would be lovely uh but yeah i also can't say that i'm an old soul with a straight face um but anyway yeah um it, it just kind of gives me that that feeling like you know when you know a normal person can smile upon some i don't know just some some normal i believe they call that nostalgia yeah like like some sort of emotion you know uh but (laughs) but yeah but you're a um, cyborg so you don't have those you know you you try to be uh especially if you want to have good healthy internet chess binges um (laughs) Kind of have to take some of the emotion out of it, you know, but but at, you also have to honor and respect what you're feeling. And I think that's probably the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from today somehow. Or you can find a large uh, foam sword and uh, have it out tete-a-tete with some bronies. All right. Exactly. <laughs> and on that note, uh, this has been Chess Underground, August 2022. Gopal, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We'll catch up with everybody in September. Love you, bye. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.7seasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis. Determination.